Though she died nearly 20 years ago, uh, Mother Teresa is back in the news. Uh, recently, she was made a, a saint by uh, Pope Francis. Now, of course, we don't believe that a pope makes a person a saint. We believe that a person becomes a saint when they turn from their sin and call out to Jesus and transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But, but really, that's another issue. As you think about Mother Teresa, um, though there was some controversy surrounding her life, when you think about Mother Teresa, what do you think about? You think about a person who gave her life selflessly in service to, to the poor, in service to those who were the lowest of low. And she came to be honored uh, with a Nobel Prize and other countless uh, honors for her commitment to serve the needy, to serve the, the poor. And so this morning, I want us to think together as a family of God about giving to the needy and giving to the poor. Now, all of us needs to have a vision of what our life is going to be about, um, Many times in the day-to-day, we just sort of get busy just taking care of what has to be taken care of. You know, this has to be done, and that has to be done, and this has to be paid, and this has to be taken care of, and hey, we really want to do this, and we just sort of get caught up in the day-to-day. And yet, God calls us to something that's greater than that. He calls us to make our lives about something bigger than ourselves. And this morning, as we look in Matthew chapter 6, we'll see just that, that, that God calls us to make our lives about him and about his, uh, about his work in our lives. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, as we've said countless times, we see what it means to live as a kingdom of the citizen of heaven. The world may live like this or that, but those who belong to the kingdom, those who belong to God's kingdom, are to live like this. And in a sense, Jesus makes clear the distinction between the world and believers, or the world and the church. And in the sections prior to the ones we'll be reading this morning, Jesus has defined the law. In many ways, he's taken the, the Old Testament law and he's helped explain what it's, really, its real intent is. But this morning, he's going to focus really on practical living and, and how our righteousness is about our, our hearts, what's going on in our hearts. Let's look together at Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. In order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In these verses, Jesus teaches that we are called to give obscurely. We're called to give obscurely, not seeking the applause of others. Now again, Jesus has been teaching about true righteousness up to this point. This is, this is what true righteousness is. You thought it was this, but I'm telling you, it is this. And now he teaches us that seeking to live righteously for human applause is not righteousness at all. Seeking To live righteous, a righteous life for the sake of human applause, that really isn't under the category of righteousness. That's what Jesus makes clear in this passage. In fact, if you're seeking human praise, Jesus says you'll receive no other praise. That's all you'll get. And so for the next several verses, Jesus is going to illustrate this point. He illustrates it through giving, 
through prayer and through fasting. And these were all staples of of what it meant to be a holy Jew or a, a Jew with a certain degree of piety. Now, some of you may say, now, wait a minute. What Jesus says here, isn't this opposite of what he said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount? Is, didn't he say in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven? Now, wait a minute. Is it we do our good deeds so that people can see, or is it that we try to hide our good deeds? And the answer is this. Both of these scriptures point to the heart. What's the heart of Matthew 5, 16? We do good works so that people will glorify, not us, but God. So our good works are meant to point to a great God. So when people see you as a believer living in a way that is good and right and you're caring for others and you're honest and you have integrity, that begins to make them say, what is it that's different about so-and-so? Oh, he's a believer. He knows Jesus. And so they have some interest in Jesus, and ultimately, the prayer is that they come to know him and and God's given glory. So the motive for letting others see your good works is that people might glorify God. Well, here, the motive for giving secretly is the same, that God might be glorified and and not yourself. So Jesus is not contradicting, contradicting himself. What he's saying is that our behavior ought to be motivated not by a desire for human praise and applause, but for a desire for God to be glorified and others to be served in his name. We have to recognize up front that seeking to be a people pleaser can be idolatrous. It can be idolatrous to try to say, hey, I'm going to make my life about making people like me. That can, that can become an idol. People become an idol in our lives in which we bow at the altar of people and not at the altar of God. That, that's a danger for those of us who are believers. So an act of giving, we'll focus more on giving in the verses ahead, but an act of giving may become public. Let's suppose you give, and and somehow it does become public. Even if that happens, it shouldn't be given with that intent or with that goal. So if a deed is done to gain personal honor, it is not done for the glory and the service of God. That's what Jesus is saying here. As we've seen over and over in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is targeted in not just on our actions and our words but he's targeted in on what's going on within our hearts this is what makes christianity so different from from other world religions that they're concerned so often with action and behavior and and earning a way into relationship with god but because god saves us by his grace not by our external actions jesus is concerned about what's going on really in here in the interior And that has a way of working itself out, of course, in our external actions. Look in verse 2. Now, in verse 2, the the you here is plural. In verse, I'm I'm sorry, in verse 1, it was plural. And here in verse 2, it's it's in the singular. And it's in a sense uh, that Jesus is just looking at you and me one-on-one and saying, I want you to get this. I I want you to understand this. I'm looking at you. If you're a believer, that's what Jesus is saying. Here's a very personal element to what... Uh, He is speaking to those who would follow him. Now, remember, in this time period in Israel, there's no welfare system. There's not a social security system. Giving to the poor was an expectation among Jews. It was a part of of what you did as a faithful Jew. In fact, in Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10, the scriptures say, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So from 
uh, Israel's earliest of days, God made provision for the poor. He made provision for those who were in need. And you see here, there was sort of a, uh, a working together of those who had and those who didn't. Those who had didn't completely harvest everything. No, they left some that those who were poor could come and gather. And there's an interesting, um, uh, there's an interesting principle there when it comes to how we help others. In a sense, we need to, to really help others. And what, what these folks were doing by leaving uh, food in the field is they were enabling those who didn't have a field to come to their field and to harvest. So there's a sense in which the principle is you help people, but you also help them ad- advance. You help them. These folks were coming to gather themselves. And so it's really important when we go back to creation to recognize that it's good for people to work. That, that's a part of who we are. To, to work and to keep the garden wasn't something that was going to happen after the fall. No, the weeds grew up after the fall. To work the garden was something good that God created us to be before the fall. So every person is made to be able to, to put their hands to a task and to accomplish things. So, so there's a, a beautiful uh, principle here in Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, and that is you help people and you help them advance. You, you don't just, you don't just uh, uh, become their provider. You help them learn to provide and to take care of themselves. Now, we all know there are people that, 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 are, that are in difficult situations health-wise or, or uh, elderly and infirmed. And our responsibility there is to just care and to serve. But to the degree possible, we want to help people develop and grow and fulfill the, the, the purpose that God has for their lives. And so we see concern for the needy from Israel's beginning. Also, Deuteronomy 15, verse 11. You shall, open your, uh, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. You shall open wide your hand to those who are needy, to the poor. Now, in a recent survey that I read about those who give, who give to charities and uh, churches, nonprofits, such as that, around 75% of people who attend Religious services of one sort or another who, who attend those regularly give. They give to the church and to other uh, charities and, and, and nonprofits. 60% gave to uh, charities outside of their church. 75% gave directly to their church. Of those who did not attend faith services regularly, fewer than half supported any charity at all. Now this, is, this makes sense to us. Because when we know God and we recognize that everything that we have is a gift from God, and we begin to realize that, that, that there's something more than just me out there, I begin to have a responsibility to serve others and to love others. As I've been served and cared for by God, I begin to grasp the responsibility that I have to be a blessing to others. And so it makes sense that those who uh, have an understanding of God would realize the importance of caring for and serving those who are in need. Now, what does Jesus say here? He says, don't sound a trumpet when you give. Now, what could be more public? If we walked out the door and someone was, was blasting a trumpet, we'd all turn our heads and we would look that way. And Jesus is saying, when you give, don't do that. Now, if he were, if he were teaching today, he might say something like, don't Instagram it or don't tweet it, right? Don't, don't make it obvious what you're doing. Don't try to... Get the world to notice how good you are. He says when you do that, you're nothing more, you're nothing more than a hypocrite. 
Why? Because a true kingdom citizen wants the glory to go to God. And when we want the glory to come to ourselves, we are not living like a person who knows the Lord. We're living like a hypocrite, a person who wants to look like they love the Lord, but in reality they do not. Now we have to recognize there's a danger here for those of us who believe. Sin can be very deceiving. So we have to to, to recognize these hypocrites may well have been deceived themselves by by, by their sinfulness here. It could be that in their giving and in their wanting to blow the trumpet and let everyone see, it could be that they really had deceived themselves into thinking that they were pleasing God. Perhaps they thought they were deceiving themselves in such a way that they thought, oh, I am helping so many people. But in reality, their hearts were turned away from God. So we need to recognize there's a possibility for every one of us, myself included, that our sinfulness can blind us in various areas. And this is why we need to call out to God and we need to say to God, God, search this heart of mine. Help me to see my sin. And it's another reason that we need to be a part of a church family. This is when you read the New Testament and you see that that believers were always meeting together and worshiping together and and helping each other. And when you read the New Testament, you see over and over each other, one another. You you see those, those kinds of comments all the time. And yet believers constantly think, well, hey, I can do this on my own. But that's contra the New Testament. That's not what the New Testament says. One of the reasons that I so desperately need other believers to be close to me is so that a believer can say to me, hey, pastor, or hey, brother, I care about you and I love you, but have you noticed this in your life? It does not add up. We need that. We, we need that. When we're out on our own, we can deceive ourselves. And so perhaps these folks who were hypocrites indeed had tricked themselves too. But they had not tricked the Lord Jesus, and we won't either. So ask God to search your heart. Have a brother or sister in your life who will speak the truth to you in love. So in essence, Jesus says this. If your motive is to be applauded, it's to get people to cheer, you're going to get what you want. But you're not going to get anything else. There'll be no other reward for you. Your reward reward will be earthly only. There'll be no heavenly reward. As one commentator said it, if you sought the praise of men in your giving, then consider yourself paid in full. And when I was a freshman in college, I had a political science professor who was incredibly generous. The man gave to every kind of cause you can imagine. And you you would see his name plastered here and plastered there it was just it, 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 his name was was everywhere and and he again he his uh, he was known all over north texas for being a man of incredible generosity and in speaking about his giving and this is what my professor said um, i want my name up there in the lights i love recognition That's what he said. Now, it's great that he gave, but understand that kind of giving is not the kind of giving that God calls those of us who follow him to give. we're, We're not called to that kind of giving. We're called to give obscurely that God might be glorified, not that we might be glorified and honored. Now, look in verse three. Jesus says, when you give to the needy. Now, it's really important that we think about this. When you give. It's an understanding that those of us who know Jesus are going to give. 
He assumes that we'll give. He doesn't say if you give. He says when you give. So those of us who know Jesus, we ought to be generous. We ought to be looking for ways to serve those who are poor and needy and need assistance and care. We ought to be be interested in that. Notice Jesus doesn't say stop giving. He just says give with the right heart. And then he says, and this is an interesting thought, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now we know that Jesus isn't speaking literally because it's really not a way that the same brain can control both hands and the one not know. So we know he doesn't, what is he saying? He's saying, do it as secretly as you can. Be, be as obscure as possible. Don't, don't let the right know what the left is doing. So our goal in giving ought to be to conceal not to reveal. Our goal in giving ought to be to conceal, not to reveal. That, that ought to be our intent, our goal. Uh, Calvin said it like this uh, regarding uh, what Jesus said about the right hand and the left hand. We ought to be satisfied with having God as our only witness. Having God as our only witness. Now, this isn't an argument for poor stewardship without any kind of financial accountability. I, it, it, it doesn't mean that. It just means that our motive in giving to the needy and to the poor ought to be for his glory alone. And it isn't wrong to receive tax benefit. Uh, some will say, well, hey, we shouldn't give when the, when the plates are passed. If you took this, this verse to the extreme, when the plates are passed, you couldn't put your money in because somebody might see you. Or when you walked up to Walmart and you tossed uh, uh, some money in the, uh, uh, the Salvation Army um, uh, bin. Well, I can't give because some No, it's, it's not ridiculous. It's, it, he's not meaning that. What he's meaning is that we don't walk up and try, hey, look at me, everybody, look what I'm doing, look how good I am. That, that's what he's saying here. We, we know that he's not speaking literally in the sense that the right and the left, he, he couldn't be speaking uh, literally for, for that purpose. He's giving us a principle in giving. Give for God's glory and for the good of others, not for your own acclaim. Now, there's something else to think about when he says, don't let your right hand know what the left is, or don't let your left know what the right is doing. What's he saying? He's saying, don't even focus on it yourself. In other words, don't pat yourself on the back and go, oh, wow, look at how good I am. I give so much. I helped this person or that person. This person was in need, and I did this for them and that for them. Man, I'm a great guy. No, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Give and forget about it. Move on. Give and let God deal with the rest. Don't, don't. Uh, spend all this time in self-adoration? Don't we do those things, though? Don't, don't we like to do that? It, no one else may applaud us, but surely we'll applaud ourselves, right? No, let's, let's have hearts that long for God to be glorified, not, not ourselves. This kind of goes against our, human, our humanness, doesn't it? One uh, said this, speaking uh, on this passage, it is possible to turn an act of mercy into an act of vanity so that our principal motive in giving is not the benefit of uh, the person receiving the gift, but our own benefit who give it. And obviously that's not God's plan here. Matthew six nineteen and 20 says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. There's a sense in which Jesus is saying, you give generously to those who are in need, and then you trust me for heavenly reward. You trust me. You're you're putting money in the bank eternally. 
You just trust me to take care of that. So let's think through practically uh, what this looks like in our lives. First, Christians ought to be very concerned for those who are poor, and we ought to give generously to help those who are in need. We ought to be very serious about caring for those who are hurting and who need help. That ought to drive us as believers. In fact, 1 Timothy 6, verses 18 and 19 says this, they are to do good, speaking of how believers should live, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation, that is, heavenly treasure. Now, of course, we know from other parts of Scripture, time doesn't give us, uh, we really don't have time to go there today, but there are countless other Scriptures that that would teach us to be wise in how we give. Sometimes we can give to people and we can harm them more than help them. And so a Christian isn't just interested in throwing some cash at somebody, but a Christian's interested in that person developing and that person growing and having a need met, but also in, in, in them finding the Lord Jesus or in them uh, being able to, to make personal advancement. We want to see them develop. Somebody who's in need, not just, not just to throw cash. Sometimes giving people cash is the easiest thing to do. So, so we want to be careful in how we help. We want to be wise in how we help. But those of us who call out on the name of the Lord Jesus, as much as we've been given, we ought to be the most generous people in all of the world. The most generous people in all of the world. Second, give in an obscure manner. As I said earlier, striving to conceal, uh, not reveal your giving. John twelve forty three. Uh, gives us some good guidance on this. Don't be like those who love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. We want to give for God's good pleasure, not for the approval of people. So there's no trouble with giving and someone seeing. We, we recognize that. Just as in the verses to come, he'll talk about praying. There's no problem with someone seeing you pray. You just don't want to pray in such a way that you want people to see you pray. It's the same principle here. You want to give in such a way that you're not trying to draw attention to yourself. Third, seek the approval of God and not of people. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account. And so we see that every one of us is laid bare before the Lord. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in in my heart. And so when I give, the desire of my heart ought to be that he's glorified and that others are served in his name, not my own glory. So give for God's glory. Give for his glory. Strive to live a life that brings glory to him. You want to talk about a good vision for life? That's a good vision for life. That you might one day stand before him on the other side in eternity and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So yes, we have to live life and we have to be involved in this or that and and a lot of them are good things. But sir, ma'am, I plead with you, don't let these things be what you live for. Make what you live for. His glory. When you make what you live for His glory, you'll be a person of, of generosity. You'll be concerned for, for those who do not have. Fourth, God is always, always concerned with your heart, not only your actions. Motives matter. What did, what did we learn earlier as we looked at the Beatitudes several, uh, several weeks ago? Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You see, when, when our hearts are right before God, we have a greater joy in Him. 
There's a richer fellowship when our hearts are right before him. And so we want him to purify our hearts, to shape our hearts, to change us from within. Fifth, receive the greatest gift that's ever been given. Receive the greatest gift that's ever been given, a relationship with God. Now, most of us probably wouldn't say, you know what, I'm, I'm poor. Most people who live in America today have far more than, than so many all over the world, embarrassingly more than so many people all over the world. And so the truth is probably no one in this room, particularly from the perspective of the world, could be called poor. But I want you to know the Scripture teaches that every single one of us is in poverty. Scripture teaches that every one of us is spiritually needy and that we're in such a situation that without someone reaching down to help us, we have no hope. But the good news is that God loved so much that he gave his own son In fact, John 3.16 tells that story. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. And so what did God do for us in our poverty and our spiritual need? He gave the best that he had, his very own son, and he made a way for sinners who were lost and separated from him, that's every one of us, to be made right with him He made a way for our sins to be forgiven and his holiness to be maintained. He put the punishment that you deserve and that I deserve on his own son. When Jesus died on the cross, he was buried and he was raised again and he made a way where you and I can live a life free of sin. So I want you to know that in this room today, if you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, the scripture says that you are terribly needy. The scriptures say that you are indeed in poverty and it's a poverty you can't rescue yourself from. The only hope that you have is that you call out to Jesus and say to him, please forgive me, I want to follow you. I believe you came and lived and died, was buried and rose again and I want to follow you. And when you do that, God's word is clear. When you mean that and you call out to him and that turning point occurs in your life, the scriptures are clear. You have the greatest gift that's ever been given and one day you'll spend eternity in heaven with him so you may not have a lot here on earth and there may be others who have so much more than you but if your name is written in the book of life ma'am you've got everything sir you've got everything and we have a reason to be generous to those to be generous to those who are in need because he has been so generous to us. Now, I mentioned the professor earlier that I had in uh, political science class. Through the years, he has given millions of dollars away. And this is the condition. The condition that he gave all of this money away in almost every, uh, in almost every time that he gave was this, that his name would be prominently displayed somewhere. Scholarship fund had to be named after him. The street had to be named after him. Those kinds of things. In fact, the professor said this of his giving. I don't do this out of pure goodness. I'm not leaving children to carry on my name by choice. This is my way of making sure I'm remembered. I'm shamelessly buying my immortality. Can you do that? 
can you buy your immortality? Well, I want you to know that having your name on a football field will not equate to immortality. In fact, the scriptures are clear. You cannot buy your immortality. The only way that you can live on forever with God is by calling on Jesus who, who paid your way if you'll call on him who made a way for you to be saved and to believe. Don't make your hope so small that you're wanting to have a street named after you. Make your hope so big that you hope to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Call out to the Lord Jesus. And if you're a giver or if you're a believer here today, then be a giver. Be a person who shares with those who are in need, who's concerned for those who, who are hurting. Let's be a people who bring glory, uh, who bring great glory to God. Join me in prayer.